Welcome to Series 2 of the Big Beatles Sort Out. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles' core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In Series 2, we have already looked at the anthology and the songs they gave away, so join us now as we continue our journey with curated selections from the Live at the BBC albums. Welcome to episode 52, and welcome to Paul in a day's work, Abbott. Oh, hello. That's a, just a general phrase, isn't it? Yes, I've... That's, I've that's been reduced I mean. to the general. <laughs> it's, yeah, I'm just going to start going through the dictionary now for anything that rhymes with Paul. Um, it's, yeah, but it is a Paul in a day's work, isn't it? Do, it is a little bit doing this Beatles thing, really. I know, I know I do actually have a job, but I do spend most of my time just thinking about the <gasps> Beatles. Oh, just thinking about the Beatles, that's okay. Yeah. I just thought you said you're going to spend all your time just doing notes for these podcasts when we should be working, but we wouldn't do that. No, um, never. No. No. Um, Paul, we've had a little break. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've had a little break. Um, we did. It was it was Christmas and that. Yeah, and we so we've had a bit of the New Year to uh, to ourselves, haven't we? To 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 get through those dark January nights, and now the you know the lights coming back a little bit, a very very small amount. We're back again, and this time we we're back with live at the BBC albums. But before that, let me do all the usual stuff. Don't forget, you can follow us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And please, as always, if you can, like and share our posts and tell everyone, and if you listen on a podcast platform, give it a rating and all that. Um, Paul, whilst you've been away, have you been up to much? Is there anything you'd like to tell our listening um, listening population about population our population of listeners, cast you our listeners. some sort of yeah. it's like an island upon which you're uh, you're ruling uh well do you know what I, i'm going to be saying now probably for ages and over and over again that yeah. my band's album is now officially announced as coming out Ooh. this is the debut album from my band good grief for fans of bands like super chunk and husker do and things like that with me trying to sneak in little McCartney-esque bass lines wherever I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, we announced that it's coming out on March the 18th on, on vinyl, because that's what things come out on. That's why it's taken forever to get it made, because vinyl production is loopy. So if anyone wants to go to goodgriefliverpool.bandcamp.com and pre-order Shake Your Faith by Good Grief, then that would be nice. Yes, and you should. And we will put that link very nice and prominent in the episode description and it's coming out on mainly yellow vinyl which is baffling that that's the main color it's coming out on and that mm. the limited edition release is black vinyl <laughs> wow oh i see you have to go for the limited edition to get the uh, what would normal be normal yeah normally be normal well i'm very much looking forward to that i have pre-ordered my copy thanks gary uh, i have previous good grief dual sing like singles and dual yeah, releases i got your box set last like year that. of your kind of releases to date so looking forward to the album very good hmm. um for me um i am releasing a song a month this year that is my plan um and this is february the 7th so you should there probably won't just be before i've released my next one but as always i will put up the links to my spotify and my apple music profile so all of the releases so far are there to go and have a little listen to and save and you know all that stuff no lovely vinyls as of yet 
for me. Um, but yeah, so so all those links should be in the usual places. So now we're back, Paul. We're here to talk live at the BBC. We ummed and ahed about what order we're going to do things in, but we decided that that was the going to be the run for the next uh, four episodes. Yeah. Probably an episode per volume. Do you want to give us a... Uh, an episode per disc per volume. Per disc per volume, because there's a lot there, isn't there? Yeah. So as I have got it down, is we are going to do a curated selection of five songs where I'm going to do some kind of a rating for them, which we will talk about soon. But we want to have a little general chat about the whole thing. Yeah, well, definitely, because I think Live at the BBC is, and especially Live at the BBC Volume 1, as it has become, because there's mm. now two volumes of it, is um, quite a significant thing for a lot of Beatles fans because it was the first big sort of dump of new stuff, big sort of load mm. of new stuff Beatlesy that to come out for a long, long time when it, when it first turned up in um, November 1994. Yeah. And it's, you know, the name is pretty obvious. If, if anyone's listening abroad and they don't know what the BBC is, that's, it's the national, it's the state broadcaster for the, you know, United Kingdom. Currently yes. under a lot of threat from the uh, the government trying to pull it apart with the license fee and stuff. Mm. Uh, but for a long time, it was the broadcaster before there was any commercial radio or even pirate radio, which sort of creeps in off the back of the success of pop in the 60s, mainly. And yeah, Live at the BBC is two CDs worth. It came out on tape as well, originally. Mm. Um, two CDs worth of essentially live recordings of the Beatles at the BBC doing sessions to the radio for all these shows. And the amazing thing is masses of this stuff has never been heard. It wasn't stuff they rec- recorded in the studio. Yeah. So it's, it's just such a fascinating box set. And I remember when I got it for Christmas in 1994, the first year I ever had a CD player, I got a CD player for Christmas, little m- m- MIDI system thing. Hmm. Uh, and I got, I, and I don't think I even asked for this. In fact, I don't even know if I knew at the time that it was coming out. I'm, I may well, it may well have passed me by. Mm. Uh, and I'm getting it and not expecting it and being like, <gasps> so the first CDs I got were Beatles Live at the BBC and a Nina Simone compilation. Why not? Yeah, both That's albums good. I still listen to now. Yeah. <laughs> On, yeah, I was just thinking how much better that is than the first CD I ever got, which I seem to think being "Who Let the Dogs Out." <laughs> well, there but we go. But I don't go. think I bought that. I can't remember. Go on. Right. Okay. Well, I'll let that hang in the air. But yeah, it, it was a huge hit as well. So it it was like a number one in the UK album charts for a week in, in like early December nineteen ninety four. It stayed in the top one hundred of albums for twenty two weeks. Pops pops back into the charts in uh, number 57 in 2013 when it was remastered and re-released. Okay. Uh, it becomes a number one album in Canada. It's number three in, in America. So it, it was a huge, big deal. And it sort of mm. spurs mid-90s Beatles juggernaut into action. Yeah. Obviously, this is a precursor to the anthology. Yeah, it's, it's always... Yeah, it slipped under... Like, I think you're right, that from our household's point of view, that it slipped under the radar a bit compared to the anthology. But obviously not... You know, it did make an impact, but it didn't... People, perhaps they didn't realise just how big the audience still was when this came out. Well, that's so what I'm not sure about, because I can't... Yeah, I can't remember about how, you know, how much this was advertised, where I would have seen it advertised, yeah. and things like that. 
and but obviously with anthology being tied into the TV as well. But that's know, it, isn't you, it? I you guess, saw a lot yeah. more of it. But the point is, it was a massive success, and it it for me, it's one of my absolute all time favorite Beatles albums. Mm. It was partly because it's all this material you've never heard before. Yeah. But also because it's got um, speech tracks on there as well. So extracts of the Beatles talking to the various disc jockeys and presenters that are doing yeah. these shows with them. And it's it's just great to have those moments between the songs. Uh, yeah, it, it got re-released in November 2013 when they put out Volume 2, mm-hmm. of which more when we get to talking about Volume 2. Uh, which meant that they could remaster some of these tracks again because it's archive material. The stupid thing is the BBC, in its infinite wisdom, I mean, a lot of us have a love-hate relationship with the BBC if we like archive material, like Doctor Who, for instance. Yeah. The BBC wouldn't retain anything that it made. You know, stuff would get sent out, it would get shown, and it'd be like, well, tape and, and film is expensive, we'll reuse it for something else. Yeah. Or we'll junk this material because we can't hold on to everything forever. And they basically did this with all their Beatles stuff. So in the actual BBC archives, there wasn't a massive amount of this material. But of course, a bit like with Doctor Who and, and other archive TV programmes, people found other sources for where this material was, like on discs made to be sent or, or tapes made to be sent to other broadcasters around the world, things yeah. like that. Um, or people recording on domestic machines at home. Hmm. So that explains why some of the material quality is yeah you know up and down really but the 2013 edition gave them a chance to revisit it again with sort of newer technology from 1994 to sharpen up some of these tracks again um and change the track listing slightly on the on live at the bbc volume one which throws me because i listen to the record so much I know every single beat of the speeches and the mm. music and the patterns and how they play. So when there's new speech tracks in there, it's like, oh, what? Who's done this to me? Ah. But, you know, you know. Okay. Anyway, yeah. They also put out a single at the same time. Oh, not the same time. The single came out in, in March 1995, but it was a single associated with Live at the BBC, which was um, of the live version of Baby It's You. Yeah. Which so I, I remember still that have. quite clearly being around and on the radio and in the charts did it get it did get in the charts it spent 14 weeks in the top 100 mm-hmm. peaked at number seven in its first week in the charts yeah only got to number 67 in the u.s but yeah it's amazing it, a beatles single in the in the top 10 in 1994 yeah. and it being a live radio recording a live radio recording of a cover <laughs> yeah essentially yeah, yeah. so really, they still get in the top 10 yeah, it's cool. I see. I don't have as close a relationship with it as you. Um, not surprisingly, given you know, I, I think um, you've listened to everything more than I have, um, and owned a lot more of it and kept up with it as much much more than I have until this podcast exercise where I'm catching up a bit. So I've had to purchase my first copies of this. I think, like with when we were young, I, although I didn't get. You know, joking aside with them, who let the dogs out? That's because I probably didn't get a CD player for quite a while because I just used yours. I think I got a portable one. But um, so I probably just listened to your copies of things. So listening back through this, a lot of it's, I've heard it all before. But unlike you, I wouldn't know the beat put to beat what's coming up next. Definitely not. So it's been, once again, a pleasant revisiting to something that I'm going to get to spend some more time with. 
Um, so yeah, so that's, that's been nice and it's going to be nice as we go through all of the discs. Um, but Paul, because it's um, a new, most, well, nearly all, if not all, depends on what you've chosen from the next few discs, of the songs are covers, aren't they? That mostly... I think my selections are, all but one of them are um, non-Beatles written songs. Yes, which is partly because we're not, you know, um, because we're not covering everything, we don't want to tread too much old ground again, do we? So No, and there's there's so much new material, new material, as it were, on these Live at the BBC CDs, it would be daft not to approach some of the ones that I think are standout tracks or have something particularly interesting about them. Absolutely. So what we've done is after some help from yourselves listening, people on Twitter, um, we've come up with a slightly different rating system for the next um, four episodes because they're all nearly going to have... I don't want to get stuck in the lyrics loop of them not being their lyrics and therefore not rating their lyrics. Um, So we've gone... And because production is going to be so variable quality, like Paul's already explained, we've gone for slightly different categories. Um, So I'll just cover them... Briefly here, we're going to stick with music as before, meaning the general musicality of the parts being played, including the arrangement, things like that. Then we're going to have performance, which is the energy and vibe, I think, of that particular rendering of that song in that particular token performance of that song. Um, so, you know, that, that, that one-off version of it. And then finally, song choice. Why that song? Why now did it suit them? Would it have been right on an album? Why didn't we hear it on an album? That kind of thing. I think that there's going to be some crossover and some overlap, but it doesn't really matter. I think it'll get us through some conversations about it. You've invented a a third sort of nebulous category that you can put a number to, despite it not really being one fixed thing, because your whole system, as always, Gary, is a flawed one. Absolutely. But, uh, you know... It, if it doesn't work, we've never let that stop us before. Um, thanks to everyone who helped us out on Twitter with our um, thoughts on this, um, which includes, but possibly is not limited to, um, at Mark Crilly, at Ben Baker Books, at Mud6652517, and at Dan Johnson111. Um, I'm sure there's other people, but those are the ones who I, I Other I people, spotted. other numbers. Yes, so thank you, everyone, and um, for that. It's your fault, basically. So, Paul, before we just start looking through the tracks, um, in general, um, we need to do it on this Beatles day, because it's the 7th of February, and people need to know. Well, indeed. I'm going to be very brief about this, because I think we've probably got lots to talk about anyway. Yeah. Uh, but what I've done is I've picked a, a massively significant day to be really, really brief about. Go for uh, it. Which is the 7th of February, 1964, which is the day that the Beatles depart... London Airport to go to New York for what is generally considered day one of the British invasion. So this is when they famously go over to America for the first time, having had a single at number one in America, the thing that they Mm. were sort of waiting for. And they turn up and have that famous press conference there and and all that stuff that happens that you see on the um, Maisel's Brothers film of their first US visit, stuff like that. And it's such a huge, significant day that there's not really much more to, for, <laughs> for me to say about yeah. it, really. Everyone knows it very well, but that was the 7th of February, 1964. So they leave sort of wintry Great Britain and turn up in, in America for all of its newness and bigness and mania and stuff like that. Yeah. But I will just quote you the a little bit from 
one of my assignments I wrote for my master's once when I was exploring uh, perspectives on the British invasion. Okay. Uh, so this, listen to this stuff that I wrote years ago. Years ago? Years ago, even. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Use proper words, Paul. Quote, Outlined from a deliberately naive diachronic viewpoint, the British invasion can be said to be the period from February 1964 to June 1967, when records by British artists were receiving major label releases in the US, and these records began to sell well. I don't know why I came up with 67 there. I must have had a rationale for that. I don't know why. Um, That wasn't a footnote, by the way. The Beatles are usually presented as the figurehead for the invasion, with other groups following in their transatlantic vapour trails to reap the benefits of access to a young American audience, which, it seemed, couldn't get enough of British boys in suits playing guitars. Uh, And anyway, then I go on to talk about uh, Walter Cronkite, the news anchor in America, coining the term Beatlemania, and how that's the British invasion and Beatlemania, because of that, have become interlinked to the point Mm. where most of the other groups aren't considered in the same light at all, despite mm. the fact that lots of, of groups and performers came over. So there you go. Anyway, yeah. British Invasion begins on the 7th of February, 1964. Yeah. On this day. On, on this, this Beatles day. Beatles mania day. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Paul. So we're not going to go just one song at a time through them. We're going to go through the track listings and stop when we get to the one that we're going to talk about um, in more detail. So would you like to take us away paul okay so we're dealing with disc one of live at the bbc volume one and we open with beetle greetings which is a lovely way to start this because it starts with the introductions from each of them slight some of them slightly more stilted but all of them funny mm. you know that you can hear them sort of listening and laughing at each other a little bit and making noises yeah. And then we move into the From Us to You opening, a little version of From Me to You done as a theme yeah. for their own radio slot. With the with the uh, perspectives changed around. Yes. So they actually do sing From Us to You, don't they? They do, yes. Just call on us and we'll send them yeah. along. Yeah. Then we get a bit of chat called Riding on a Bus, where mm. Paul expresses his miss, uh, you know, how much he misses uh, riding on a bus, things like that. Mm-hmm. Then we open into the first new Beatles thing, as it were, with a cover of I Got a Woman, uh, the Ray Charles song. Then we move into Too Much Monkey Business. And then we arrive at track number six, which is Keep Your Hands Off My Baby. Keep your hands off my baby Paul. You've got a baby Paul. Yes, a little baby Paul. I've got. I've cloned you, just oh. in case. Although it's going to take a long. By the time I have to, you know, rear you in real time, and so I'd provide and me train with the to, same set of experiences that yeah. led me to to here and now. Just lock the baby Paul in a room with all the Beatles records. Oh dear, I pity that weird child. Anyway, yes, <laughs> this. What's great about this song is it's. So people will be very familiar with Little Eva, particularly her song, The Locomotion. Oh. So okay. that was 
that was a massive hit for the artist Little Eva. This is a song, uh, and this is a follow-up single to it, Keep Your Hands Off My Baby, which I've included not just because it's a great song, but also because it shows up something about what the Beatles were doing in terms of material. Because not yeah. every, it's easy to look at live at the BBC and say, oh, that must have just been like their Hamburg or Cavern set list. Well, it's not yeah. quite that simple, really, because... Obviously, we're at a period where they're starting to do more of their own stuff, but here we have loads of covers. Now, this yeah. for this this was recorded on uh, the twenty second of January, nineteen sixty three. Goes out on Saturday Club on the twenty sixth of January, nineteen sixty three. Mm-hmm. Well, this had only become a hit in the UK charts in January of nineteen sixty three. So okay. they've only just heard this song, you know, a matter of a couple of weeks before they record this, right? You know, this gets to number 30 in the UK charts. It wasn't a massive hit, but you know what the Beatles were like. They were essentially obsessive for these yeah, sorts the music, of things, weren't they? They're music fans, aren't they? they yeah. They, 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 it's a bigger hit in, in America. Um, but they, you know, not only have they only heard it a little bit, they do, they adopt it and they play it a bit in, in some of their tours at the time, but they work up a brilliant version of it. It's just fab. It's just such an astonishing thing. Again, it's the Beatles being in thrall of female singers and female musicians as well and doing their own version. Yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah, so keep your hands off my baby. Um, What I like about this, starting with the music, um, although this is accidentally a production note as well, even though it's not intended, because of the the... you know the uh, quality of the recording. I like the the drum intro, which sounds really kind of a uh, industrial and breakbeaty. Yeah, well, there's some of... thought that that is an extended version that they've done that for just this live at the BBC thing. They've like like done an extended drum intro for some reason. Yeah, well, so like it's a bit of an ar- a bit of artifice here. Oh, okay. That's which combined with the archive quality of the the sound makes it really really intriguing. Yeah. I love that drum intro. Yeah, but it's, it's it might not actually be what they what played. They play. oh, okay, because <laughs> uh, musically after that we're kind of in a kind of doo wop style. It's got the that kind of well, uh, not doo wop. No, doo wop's more male vocal groups doing um, ring, ring the changes four chord stuff. This is more shoe wop. Shoe wop. Yeah, <laughs> if you want. Yeah, it, it's got that classic change down to the minor chord. With the um, ah, ooh, style backing vocals, you know. It's that, you know, the, the, the feel to it. Um, it's got a good swagger and rhythm. It's got that girl band R&B feel to it, like you've, like you've said. Um, the music for me, um, it, it's a bit, it's mainly one big chorus. I don't, the verses and um, an intro are a bit indistinct for me just feels like it's treading water between those bits and and the choruses uh, i like the style it's not my favorite example of it but I, I like i like this kind of song i think they do other things better but we'll get onto that with song choice so for the i'm going to give it 55 for music i think their arrangement of is 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 brilliant for this i think they work up such accurate sounding backing vocals but as we know it's one of yeah. their skills yeah and i think they do them great with the the, the thing is with it, the, it is that the backing vocals are the backing vocals you do for this kind of song, isn't it? The, yeah, it's a good cover version. It's a very yeah. good cover version. The backing vocals are more or less what happens on the Little Eva record. Hmm. So performance one, it's kind of hard to gauge because the quality is 
is low. So um, sometimes I think maybe those backing vocals would sound richer and thicker if you could hear them a bit better spread out. Obviously, it's like a studio recording, isn't it, that's been reproduced. I think John's doing a great lead. Yeah. And the bass the is nice. Is and, yeah. And John, um, the bass is, is bopping along. Um, it's kind of slightly scrappy in the outro, I think. I think they go, does Ringo try and do a fill or something and it goes a bit, goes a bit off, off the boil mm. a little bit. Um, yeah, but I, I like, um, although I do like when this solo, the lead solo is okay and they, they kind of call it in with a lot of screaming. I like their kind of signaling of there's going to be a solo yeah. now because we're, we're all just going to scream and I, I it's, was watching, a, it's a great solo. It's, it's one of those rare occasions where George is really beat group style. You know, he mm. sounds like a proper beat group guitarist doing a little bit of um, whammy bar type stuff in there as well to get a bit of, you know, and they don't normally do those sorts of solos. They normally do, he does his R&B sort of rock yeah. thing. Rarely does something quite so twangy as this. Well, I quite like it as an example of that. Yeah, I like it. I think there's a bit of like um, held back energy about this. It's, it, it, it feels, for me, I think it's the song choice and, and against some of the other ones that they're doing, like um, a bit... Um, of a plodder on the pace, they could like could be a bit more energetic. But I'm going to give it 58 for performance. <laughs> well, I'm, at odd, I'm at odds with you already. Yeah. <laughs> I know I can tell. I could tell before I even started. Um, but yeah, song choice. Um, so yeah, this is a funny one because <laughs> again, it's nothing. And I I think they feel like they're looking back a, a bit with. And it's interesting what you said that this one's so new, but this one it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel contemporary. It feels it feels a few years older. Well, but it, it can't wasn't. do though. That's impossible because it's 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 exactly of the time that they do it. I know, but it it feels it's got it's got um, a feeling like it's a bit. I don't know. Even though it isn't for them, I think it 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 doesn't have um I don't know if I'd have wanted this on an album ahead of something else. So, so like something like Mr. Um, Mr. Postman, I think it's got a similar vibe to that, hasn't it? It has. But yes, I think Mr. I Postman is the better song. Um, and there's something slightly less. It's the dark. It's the ah, ooh, ah ooh, kind of side to it that I think doesn't. As Mr. Postman, slightly more towards the kind of rock side. I don't know. <laughs> there's something about it that, 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 that I think would wouldn't make the um, cut against something like Mr. Postman. I just think it's a, a bit slower or something. I don't know. Although, listening to the original, it is a slow song, and actually they, they do speed it up a bit, I think. Just yes. lacks a little bit of impact, I think. Just a little bit. Ugh. As to wh- why it didn't end up as like one that they carried forward onto a recording. Well, it's interesting, actually, because um, there are some sources that suggest that even though there's no official record of one existing... The enemy in the, in nineteen sixty three suggested that they'd played this during their session for recording the Please Please Me album. All right. So whether it was just that they were like looking around, even at that point, casting around for songs to do, and they tried yeah. it out during that sessions, but it wasn't taped. It you know it could have been a contender potentially. So it's um, but either that or the enemy got it wrong at the time. Quite possibly. But it wasn't. It was noted in the record mirror that it was one of the ones that they play on their stage act. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Although, just as a side note, from that same Record Mirror article where Norman Jopling mentions that they play Keep Your Hands Off My Baby, he also yeah. says the Beatles have big plans for an LP. Titles are indefinite. Hold Me Tight, There's a Place, My Misery are but three of them. So he's got a name wrong there. Mm. He says, and this is totally unrelated to what we're talking about, but another is, I saw her standing there, but John confided that it would be George Harrison, the lead guitarist, who would be doing the vocal on that one. Oh. So, has, he, has he ever been known to sing it? No, ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Weird. it's, uh, yeah. You might have been thinking of well, getting mixed up. Uh, yeah, knows? you don't know how these journalists got their information and also whether they could tell that John might have been being silly or something like that. So Yeah, so I'm giving it 45 for song choice, which gives it 52.7 overall. But I just think even though it was new, like of the time it feels to me more like a late 50s thing and i don't think it sounds quite on on, on suits them quite as much as some of the other choices they make though i still like it as a song okay. um well you can deal with the outfall of people telling you you're wrong as they all should do well we'll see we'll see although i, I, I will not be swayed um it'd be too late by the time they're telling me anyway mm. so Moving on then, Paul, on the track listings. Yeah, so an interesting one that has cropped up before with us is the next track after this is I'll Be On My Way, mm. which was obviously the song that they gave to Billy J. Kramer, and we've talked about that before. Yes. Yeah. And we, we move uh, straight away then after that to track number eight, which is a George Harrison vocal of Youngblood. I tried to talk, but I just stuttered. Well, what's your name? What's your name? Well, what's your name? Oh, what's your name? Hey, young blood, Paul. This young blood better not be coming from uh, baby Paul. <laughs> yeah. I'm very worried about him. <laughs> Yeah, so Youngblood was a song by the Coasters. So the Beatles obviously loved the Coasters as a, a a male vocal group, partly because I think they're so funny. You know, the, the Coasters songs are a lot of, not novelty, just funny topics. You know, mm. the Beatles do Searching is one of the ones they do. Uh, this is recorded on the 1st of June 1963 for Pop Goes the Beatles which comes mm. out on the 11th of June 1963, is broadcast, as I be, when I say comes out on. But yeah, it was it was a number eight hit in America, uh, Young Blood, number one on the R&B chart. Uh, mm. And it's given to George yeah. to do a bit of a comedy spot, really. Yeah. And I, I like it. I think it's groovy. I think it's funny. And you get to hear John doing his stupid voices. Yeah, yeah. It, it's... Um... It's definitely worth, uh, you'll have heard from the clip I've played, you know, the kind of thing that happens in this song. I go and listen to the original as well, because it's kind of funny hearing them obviously doing this, what they, they've heard, hearing what it is they're trying to do, if you know as well, because it's, it's daft, isn't it? Um, and it's good to hear. But it wasn't a song I was familiar with. Um, I didn't remember it from the much from listening back to it. It, it kind of obviously centres around a, yeah, a kind of classic, 12 bar type of rock and roll type of pattern but with that for novelty esque editions of the little spoken choruses and interludes the what's your name what's your name that kind of thing and um yeah and john does do his famous terrible 
uh, I hate to use the word, but it's what's been used to describe it, his cripple voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, and apparently when they played this at the cavern, he would, he would stomp around doing that silly walk and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, this is the reason I've chosen this is partly because it's a George vocal and it's a vocal on a comedy number. So you get to hear this yeah. weird thing that would pop up in one of their sets that you wouldn't just have straight rock and roll. You'd have this sort of thing. Yeah. And um, at least on the audio version, you know, you can uh, forgive uh, John's not very... uh, Not very tasteful. Tasteful comedy, uh, because it just sounds like he's doing a silly voice. Um, Is it... uh, The the coasters, it wasn't them. You know, Yak to Yak, Don't Talk Back, whatever that is. That's not them, is it? Uh, I don't think... Yeah, no, that is the coasters, yeah. yeah. Is it? Well, okay, because that's my reference. I I, I thought, yeah, it sounds a bit like that. It's got that kind of thing with a bit of these fun things in it. Um, a bit of fun with the backbeat, I'd say. I don't think musically there's, there's much else to it. It's, some, it's solid rock and roll. It's tight, as they always are, you know. Nice, lots of nice guitar work going on in the bass and drums are very solid. Um, I like it the mid-break where it goes a little bit jailhouse rock a bit and the key changes up. Um, kind of fun call and answer stuff on the backing vocals. I like it's got a bit more bop about it and it's got that fun to it. And musically, um, I'm giving it 60 for music. Right. It's uh, it's it's good. And performance, I think George is doing a great job on the low lead vocal. Um, it's quite because even though it's a bit of a comedy song, it's still a, a, a proper rock and roll that he has to get through. And I think he does. This is a rare example of him being given one that I think normally John or Paul would, would, would hog, you know. Yeah. Yeah, as having so. the rock and roll frontmen, and actually, although George isn't a screamer, this song doesn't call for it. So he, he kind of his slightly cool, laid back tone kind of go, goes with, well with it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because he's, um, he, yeah, I think, yeah, he's, he's got he's got a lot of character in his voice. So points for George there. Um, I say it's, although the rest of it's very tight, but I don't think there's anything particularly virtuosic jumping out of anything. I like the... So do, 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 do they take it in turn when they do that silly voice? Is George doing one, Paul doing one, and John doing one? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, essay's fun. Solid. I'm going to give it the performance, 65. Ooh. Mm. Song choice. I definitely see it as a live piece. I think one of the tests for this category, like we've said before, is what do you want to hear on an album? And I don't think I'd want to hear it on an album but I would want to see them play it live or hear them play it live, which is basically what this is. So that's that then. <laughs> yeah. I, I, do you know what? In this case, I do agree with you. I don't think it would have worked. By the time they were actually making records, I don't think this would have fitted into the material no. they were choosing. No, because they, 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 don't, they don't go down a novelty route, do they, really, on anything um, in those early days? No, they've got they've got a sense of humour, but they don't necessarily need to feel like they do it in the music at that point. They they they, they want, if anything, to be taken seriously, aren't they? So they're choosing the kind of songs that shows that they understand genres and things. So um, yeah, they spread it up a bit from listening to the Coasters original. Um, it means they have to rush in some of the funny voices, and I think the Coasters actually tell you what I did surprise me. The Coasters make a lot more of the harmony. That I don't know if it's missing because of the recording, but the Beatles don't do as much harmonies. Well, the Coasters were a vocal group. Yeah, you know, they were a doo-wop group who who were all yeah. about the vo- the voices and the harmonies. I just thought they might have done a bit more of them because they do on other ones, you know. But, oh um, yeah, yeah. yeah but you're they, right. they, I think they might have just 
razz this out as a bit of a fun one to do and not worried so much about working it up too much. Um, it's fun to hear them do it. Would have been a cheeky little song in a set, but it wouldn't have been the thing that would have made him famous. 50 for song choice, I think, which gives it 58.3 overall. And we can go back to the listings. Yeah, well, we carry on with A Shot of Rhythm and Blues, which is great. We have Sure to Fall in Love with You. We have a really good recording of Some Other Guy, which, although I haven't chosen it for one of the ones on here, it's a strong contender because it's so associated with live Beatles of that era, you know, because of the footage of them doing it in the cavern. The cavern, that's it, yeah. 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 And this is an absolute uh, brilliant rocker, this version of it on here. Mm. Uh, Then we have Thank You Girl. Which, I should say, Paul, just to interject, is I understand it a bit more Thank You Girl on Uh, this version than on the album. I I know. I think I always thought Thank You Girl stood alone as a recording. always felt a bit lacking. And then you hear hear them playing it to a crowd. It makes sense. It it makes makes much more more sense, sense, doesn't it? I found myself thinking, oh, Thank You Girl. And I'm thinking, I didn't rate this very much when we did this first time round. And I think I think they lost something in the recording of it. Yeah, and I know. So. I I'm glad you say that because that's yeah much the sort of feeling I have as well. Mm. So we then move on to a bit of funny speech with Sha La 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 La, which yeah. is used to introduce Baby It's You, which becomes the single. Mm-hmm. Then we have a very poor quality archive recording of them doing That's All Right, Mama. Mm. Again, a bit like with Keep Your Hands Off My Baby. I do quite like the archive quality of some of these things. Yeah. It gives them a sort of strange production feel all of their own yeah absolutely Uh, then we have carol the uh, cover of the chuck berry song then on the reissue of live at the bbc volume one we have a new new track called what is it george where george introduces track 18 which is soldier of love Soldier of Love, Paul. I can't think of anything silly to say for that. Um, no. Can we backtrack very briefly then to the yes, yes, introduction yes. to What Is It, George? Uh, what Is It, George? So this is requested by some nuns. Is it nuns? <laughs> I don't know. I see, I, I don't know because I don't know this track very well. Because it never used to be on the first issue. Oh. So George oh, okay. mangles whatever he's reading out. Yeah. I'm sure it's something to do with, with um, a convent or something. I don't know. Or maybe some school which is of, you know, the sisterhood of something. They do have something. convent schools. Yeah, so therefore, I, that's why I wondered if Soldier of Love was the song choice because of that introduction. But go on. Do go on. Uh, it's something about going to the Isle of Wight, isn't it? That's what... Yes, why have you never been to Isle of Wight? It says, because I haven't got a passport. Yeah, silly sausage. Yeah, there's nothing in there about uh, so song for the fifth of St. Teresa. Yeah, so yeah, it'll be a it'll be a convent school or something like that, or a religious ah, school. Okay. Anyway, just try to find a transcript of it there while we're talking about that. But anyway, that introduces John doing a cover of um, the single by 
uh, Arthur Alexander. So this is a B-side of one of Arthur Alexander's singles. And Arthur Alexander, who does Anna, go to him. You know, yeah. So another one that's a big part of their set. This was uh, uh, yeah. uh, on a single that got to number 58 in, in the US. Again, not a, a massive hit over here. Yeah. They recorded on the 2nd of July 1963 for Pop Goes the Beatles, episode 5, which goes out on the 16th of July 1963. And this, mm. for me, is the track on Live at the BBC that made me sort of go, blimey, it'd be worth it just for this. Mm. Absolute revelation, I thought this was. Yeah. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Let's see what I said don't about it. T- don't what? test me, boy. <laughs> Right. Um, well, then, I like the slightly disjointed bass and guitar unison intro. No, that's my, my exact name. I'm st- I'll, stop, I'll stop saying it in a weird voice. I like the slightly disjointed bass and guitar unison intro. Um, I like the, the weird because it's a bass line that actually doesn't carry on. I like how it starts with that ding, 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 ding which is basically a bass line, just, just a normal bass line for this kind of music, but... Then it doesn't actually carry on once the music starts. So I find it interesting. It's just used as a, an introduction. Um, and then all the harmony in the main chorus section that comes in, um, which I don't think is in the original. I think that's their arranging. Not to the. I don't think to the extent that they do it. You know, they all come in with the lay down your arms. They're all singing about. There's the something about the way they do it and the way this is recorded, and obviously its preservation status and stuff like yeah. that, that just makes. It's so interesting how you hear the closeness of their harmonies and how the voices move around and away mm. from each other in the chords that the way they've they've done it, which is just absolutely oh fills my yeah, heart. It, it it really draws out that minor chord change again, you know, because we, we these songs are all of a vein, aren't they? Because of the period and everything, and it's those kind of touches which make the the simple change from the major chord to its minor kind of. You know, it's normal. That that very classic rock and roll change, doo woppy, whatever you call it, change. It, that when you put those that melody with those three parts over it, that's the Beatle thing making it a bit more than just the next one on the on the album. And it's a nice change, which has a kind of a country feel to it as well. That's strange. Got this. It's got an interesting genre fluidity to it a bit. This one. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I like the chords in this and all the little bits of interlaced backing, swapping from harmony to answers and then to shalala type of backing. They're either singing in unison or they're singing in response or they're singing just to kind of, you know, noises and shalala things to keep it going. It's a good song. R&B, country, a bit rocky. Um, 72, I've given it for music. Right. It's a bit better, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, it's a little you bit feel, better. Yes, you thank feel you. a bit better for yeah. that. Yeah. Performance, I think it's really nicely performed. Yeah. And again, it's not a virtuosic performance in that sense. They just have to get through all the harmonies and changes, and they do. And you just know it's one of those ones that if we were performing, you're like, make sure I do this bit now and I sing this song. You know, we're not like, oh, this bit can be loose, and when we get here, we'll scream, and the crowd will scream, and then we can just do a bit of a solo. They've got to get it all right, otherwise it wouldn't sound good. And they're getting it all absolutely spot on. Live. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, John's voice is, is brilliant in this. Yeah. And apparently this was always one in, when they were doing this in the cavern. I mean, they'd been doing it. For, I mean, the single that they learnt it from came out in 1962. So they'd been doing it for a little while. Yeah. 
but apparently this is one of the ones in the cavern that was just like a highlight of the set. You oh, know, it's always cool. considered one of the best things that they did. Ah. I like and that's little... why it's a bit baffling that this, this I don't want to jump into the next category, but Didn't make this, it this is a weird one that for yeah. not getting on a record. Yeah, because I, I think it's great. I, I like. I also like the little bit that Paul does. Um, yeah. I guess it's Paul that he does it a couple of times, um, and again is to recreate something from the original, but brings something to it a little bit. It's nice and Joe Joan, Joan, <laughs> Joan, Joan, the, the fifth Beatle. <laughs> the silent. Every track Joan was on just didn't yeah. say anything or play anything. <laughs> that was, she was always, always there. there. Always there. You can, you can tell when she's not. Yeah. No, it's nice. And John is owning it again, which is where I got Joan from. John. <laughs> John is owning. Joaning. Um, John is owning it again vocally for sure. So um, I've given it 85 for performance. That's even a little bit more better, isn't it, Paul? That's just, just is going in the right direction, Gary. Mm. So song choice, though. So it's... It's interesting because I'm really glad to hear them playing it and I think it's a great song, but I'm not sure I can imagine it on their albums. So that's just, that might, I mean, obviously mm. it's easy to say that in hindsight because it's not on any of their albums. So there's a reason. I think maybe it's, I don't know. It, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know what the reason is, but I don't I guess you can do the Mr. Moonlight argument. Why do Mr. Moonlight? When this is there to, to when do. When this is there. That is a good point. Yeah, no, I don't know why they didn't put it on the album. I also, th- you have to think, like, the sound of some of their originals that they do, like um, All I've Got To Do, stuff off um, with the Beatles, essentially. Mm. Some of their, is so much in the vein of this sort of thing. Yeah. And But, you know, it's better for them to put their own original material on. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't have this... Ab- above anything original because I'm, I'm and for me that you know that that's the stuff that interests me but at the time and they're trying to they've had to choose a, a very careful selection of, of ones to, to to frame them in context didn't they along with the songs of their own yeah would this have been too good possibly that might be it it might mm. have been like well this might make not that might be they worried that this was just a, you know they don't want to overshadow some of their originals. And this is a really good song that they play really well. And they might have been a bit, I don't know. I don't know. But I, 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 I'm not sure why why we didn't get to hear it on an album. But we did get to hear it on this. And it's it's, a, it's nice thank, to have heard. Thank heavens we did. Yeah. So I'm going to give it 70 for song choice because I think it's a good song. Um, 75.7, that gives it overall. Righto. So we can carry on with our track listing. Okay, we get into um, A Little Rhyme, which is a little introduction piece for Clarabella. Mm. That was one I almost thought about choosing for Paul's vocal. Uh, Then I'm going to sit right down and cry over you. Crying, waiting, hoping, they do after that. Then we have Dear Whack, which introduces a nice version of You Really Got a Hold On Me. Yeah. Then we come to our next pick, Uh. which is To Know Her Is To Love Her. To know, know, know her Is to love, love, love her Just to see a smile Makes my life worthwhile It's just to know, know, know 
To know her is to love her, Paul. Who? Who? Her. Uh, Joan. Oh, Joan, yeah. Well, everyone loves Joan. Uh, yeah, so let's get out of the way that this is written by Phil Spector, the, um, oh, I, I, the over-producing murderer, yes. Phil Spector. And yeah. uh, it was originally released by his group, which was headed by a female vocalist called the Teddy Bears. Yeah. So the original title of this is To Know Him Is To Love Him. Yeah. It was a number one hit in America in 1958, and it got to, like, number two in the UK in the enemy charts. So this is a, you know, it's a, a decent hit. Mm. And it's one that the Beatles play a lot. They do, a, there's a version of it in the Decca audition that they record. Right, yeah. Which is really not very good. Mm. We've talked about Decca. I mean, maybe one day we'll get through to get around to doing the Decca tapes or something like that. But it's such a stiff performance compared to this. Yeah. Um, and they do a version at the Star Club, which is really slow, really slow. Okay. Uh, but this, I think, is... The, well, the reason I've chosen it is, again, it's vocal harmonies. Yeah. It's it's the their ability as a vocal group. I think this is what it's... Everyone who loves the Beatles knows this, especially people who love the early Beatles. The Beatles were never the shadows. They were not super technical beat musicians in that sense. They were a yeah. vocal group who could play rocking instruments as well. Mm. And this is a good example of where the vocal's really strong. Yeah. It, it, it certainly is. I, I I remember this one quite a lot. So I'm wondering if I've... Is it on a lot of footage that would come up? No, somewhere? I don't think so. It must have just stuck with me then because I, I like this one very much and remember it very much as like I feel like I've heard it a lot more than many of the others um yeah it's, it's a great song and again it's very much a style I enjoy that slower I'm gonna keep on using the word doo-wop until it's right <laughs> is that is this kind of like a 12-8 kind of Kind of yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd say you can apply it here, really. It's like this boy type of feel to it. Um, 50s, I want to say 50s rock and roll. That's what I want to say about everything. Um, it's got well, that feel you to wouldn't it. Be, you wouldn't be wrong. No. So uh, it's uh, it's amazing, really, as a live performance with the vocal arrangements that are going on. And also how he seems to use his bass to be almost the fourth part in the vocal arrangement as well. His passing notes on his bass change with the with yeah. The I suppose yeah. Given the absence of like a, a low yeah, you know, like a coaster style low voiced singer to get that yeah. do 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 type thing. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it. I I feel like he's putting them in there it, when the bass goes down and the voices go up. It's, it's playing that part um, to blend in almost if it's as if it's the missing part in that kind of a setup. The vocals are doing so much of this. John, especially on the lead again, with the great harmony musically, it's great. I'm giving it 75 mm. for music. So performance, I think this shows that live doesn't have to mean that you've got to go all out all of the time. I think this one shows the how much dynamic range you can create, even when you're not using sliders and layers and things, Just, just as a four guys with with um instruments 
Ringo is using his symbol changes really nicely to kind of mark, to, to you know, to, to demark out the different uh, sections. And the band, that's, you know, whether they surge from the verse. Yeah. Until kind of mid eight section. It's like a seat. It's like a, it's not really a mid eight section. It comes back, it comes in twice, but they, they surge to bring it up to it and bring it up in energy and um, snappy backing vocals, pushing it on. They change the kind of uh, tomra to kind of make it like that, 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 to get it, to bring it in. And then once they come out of that, they just drift quickly back down to the smoothness of the choruses. There's a lot of rise and fall with this, doesn't it? Uh, which is a great thing to be able to pull out in a performance live on a radio show kind of thing and to be still being listened to 50 plus years later and sound yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right I think that's a very good point they do it is an excellent um, example of their dynamic power yeah they don't just have to because a lot of this stuff is like it's radio it's Saturday morning fun fast song da 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 and this, this is them switching it up a bit um, and John talking about switching it up John does the kind of thing we would hear on things like this boy where he switches up between the different sections. He goes from his wob, kind of vibrato, but you know, heart throbby rock and roll crooner voice, to his um, more rock and rolly voice when it goes into the louder section. Yeah, um, it's hard to know what else they could have done with the live performance. It sounds so good. I'm going to give it 83 for performance on this. Mm-hmm. Song choice. I think this one could easily, easily have been on one of their albums. Yeah, don't think I don't. I think the only thing it would have clashed with something like I keep on saying this boy because I think it's got a similar. Yeah, well, again, you know, it inspired this boy. You know that yeah. style of song and that style of singing that they practice by doing to nowhere is to love her and, and such like inspires yeah. something like this boy. And they get publishing if they put this boy on there instead of to nowhere is to love her. Yeah, you know, that exactly. sort of thing. They didn't need to because they'd got something of their own which came out of this kind of style song. So. um yeah, I think it's a great song choice. I think it suits them down to a T, so I'm giving it 90 for song choice. Because I think it's, yeah, it's, it's got Beatles written all over it. Well, this is a high scorer. It is, 82.7 overall, in fact. Wowzers. We have a, a little handful more and one more song to go. Yes, okay. Uh, so following To Nowhere Is To Love Her, we have A Taste Of Honey, which is one that they did quite a lot uh, mm. during the radio sessions. If anyone's ever got the bootleg... Uh, the official bootleg 1963 recordings, there seem, that seems to be full of versions of A Taste of Honey from radio sessions. But this is a great recording, great song. We have uh, a mm-hmm. great version of Long Tall Sally, and we have I Saw Her Standing There. Mm-hmm. Then we come to song number 29, which I've included for very obvious reasons when we start discussing it. It's the Honeymoon Song. I never knew that a day like today lay before I've got the sun in my heart and my heart's in the sun Skies are as bright as your eyes, the horizon is open Love is the ceiling, feelings are reeling, free as the air The Honeymoon Song, Paul Luna de Miel That's Honeymoon, isn't it? Yeah, it is Okay Um, yeah, this is in uh, featured in Pop Goes the Beatles, episode eight, which is broadcast on the 6th of August, 1963. And it is included here in my selection because it is such a Paul McCartney number. Mm. 
It's got a very different feel. It's got a very different sort of origin story to a lot of what they would have heard or mm. what the stuff they'd heard, and you know, which was normally out of R&B type things or country and Western type things. Yeah. Different origin story. And it's one where you can sort of tell that Paul's the instigator and the others perhaps aren't so bothered, but they still do an amazing job of, of allowing him to do this mad, soppy, yeah. romantic ballad thing. You know, yeah, and I don't say soppy necessarily to be derogatory. <laughs> I'm pretty sure John and George probably would have said that to be derogatory about it, but it's it's mad. So it's written by uh, Mikis Theodorakis, and it was a track featured in a film called Honeymoon from 1959, okay. and it was a single released by the Marino Marini Quartet hmm. uh, with an arrangement apparently by Wally Stott. At the time, Wally Stott later becomes Angela Morley. And that is how we will remember her, Angela Morley. But as Wally Stott, the name would have been very well known to the Beatles as the uh, musical arranger on Goon's show stuff. Okay. But that's that's just a by-the-by type of thing. So that version it was released in 19... There was a version released in 1959 by another band as well. That, so his song was... It cropped up in a couple of different versions. Yeah. But some, somehow... Paul's got hold of it, and they've worked up this hmm. this number, and it's um, it's just it's it stands alone out of the live of the BBC stuff. Yeah, you can see that you know Paul's. It, it still fits in their broader church of the kind of Paul songs like "Till There Was You" um, that he was obviously fond of, but always stood as a bit of a now Paul's going to sing a song type of yeah. side of it. Um, so maybe not as explored by the rest of them. I'm not sure about this one. I like the drum pattern. I like I like um I like what Ringo's doing. He's sort of doing fake congas in the on the yeah. It's um it feels like the the, the rumba setting on a single finger keyboard or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there are some individual bits that are nice, but I I think my problem with it isn't anything the Beatles are doing because I, I listened to the to some of the previous versions as well. As I struggle to latch onto a hook and distinguish what is verse or chorus, it just keeps on keeps on going, and then at some point there's a guitar solo. It's not a song that kind of does it, your first no, chorus. No, it, it's not hook laden like no, it, the other things. It feels like you're getting one, and you think, "Oh, this is the hook," and then it keeps on developing still. And you're like, "Oh, no, okay, no, it's not." That's like just it kind of goes. I think it's got like three or four sections that just kind of run in order, then run a little bit again, and then it ends quite short. So. Unlike something like Till There Was You, there's not, it's not as easy to grasp onto, but he's doing the same kind of thing with it. I like the general kind of Latin, is it kind of Latin beat and little well, jazzy yeah, breaks? Spanishy, Latin y sort of yeah. thing, yeah. It's just a bit, I think the song is a bit clunky as an arrangement, not that, not that that's their problem. Um, so I'm only going to give it 52 for music. Right. Performance wise, I think props for Ringo as always, M- metronomic. I think is the word with his with his um, beat and doesn't falter throughout. Paul's bass mostly keeping it going as well with a basic bass line just to keep it going. Some of the jazzy guitar chords are okay, but a little stiff perhaps. I feel like there's one point where whoever's playing the little jazzy guitar chord has just gone. This one will do for the next few bars, then I'll change. Where right. maybe the it feels like they should have moved a few times. Um, the lead bits are, are a little bit stilted, um, but Paul's doing his nice show tune, bread eyes, singing voice, 
Um, Bread eyes? <laughs> yeah, he's doing his doe-eyed singing voice. Doe, you pillock. <laughs> um, yeah, we had this conversation before in a previous episode. Um, so that's fine. But it, I don't think he's as comfortable with it because it seems relentless and he's just got to keep on going. And I don't, I don't think it's... Um, as comfortable with it as he is some of the ones he does in this vein. So I'm going to give it 55 for performance. Mm. It's a good example of the kind of thing he's done because, because it's live and because it's, it just goes on and on onto the next bit, onto the next bit, onto the next bit. I just, I just think it's harder for him to sustain it. If you're um, not, if you're not yourself a doe eyed like, fan looking up at him when he's doing his like slots, doing this sort of song mm. on a stage in the cavern or whatever, yeah. It's, it perhaps doesn't work as well. It probably works much better in the sense of a longer set of different yeah. types of things. A bit of a break, a bit of a breather. For Paul comes down to do something, and yeah. Um, song choice, like I said, I can see the the kind of style of songs this fits into in, that pop up a little bit in, in the early days. Um, and there's even a little bit of "And I Love Her" in here. Do 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 do. Just that little. Riff. Oh, yeah, that, could be. You know, according bit. to George Martin, the song needed, and George Harrison just went, What about this? Do, nah, 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 and just came up with it on the spot. There's actually, it's a little bit in this, isn't it? Yeah, well, you are the, the sum of their influences, you know, as yeah. much as anything. Well, exactly. Um, but, um, but I just don't think it's one that shows them off so well as a band. Um, but I, I, I say, I listened to, um, I think, the Mar- Marino Marini version. And I didn't like that that much either. So perhaps just not the song for me. I might have been the person going, time to get a drink, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the cavern. Um, so, uh, but I do favour the Beatles version, I must say, out of the ones I've heard. So I'm going to give it 40 for song choice and that gives it 49 overall. Right. Well, so, bef- go on. Oh, sorry, Gary. Well, I was going to say, before I um, tell you how that all ends up we need to finish off a few of the ones that are left on the track listing don't we yeah so to to round out disc one of uh, volume one of live at the bbc we move from the honeymoon song into johnny b good which is all hooks yeah Um, then we have a version of memphis tennessee which is very good Uh, a nice version of lucille then we close out the disc with can't buy me love uh, a little speech track called from fluff to you which is um (laughs) The one with John shouting, what about my book then? Yeah, yeah. And disc one ends on Till There Was You. Which we have just been talking about. Yes, which is a better... You can understand why that ended up on a Beatles record as opposed to the Honeymoon song, really, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. It suits them much better. They work up a better arrangement. Certainly. And it's that's one I wouldn't go to the bar for. I would go, oh, I like this one. You know, (laughs) And I'd stay right there in the cavern watching if only eh? Mm. so yeah so that's that's um that's disc one volume one disc one of live at the bbc so the five i have ranked for um indicative purposes only you must choose your own ways um go like this in order so far at number five the honeymoon song at number four keep your hands off my baby at number three young blood at number two, Soldier of Love. And at number one, To Know Her Is To Love Her. Interesting. Yeah. So, see, it wasn't all that bad in the end, was it? 
Just, I don't think you quite agreed with me on um, Keep Your Hands Off My Baby. No. But, um, yeah, some standouts and stuff. So uh, Just that's, great um, to have all that material, just all this stuff that nobody really had heard. I mean, yeah, some of this stuff had eventually crept onto bootlegs and things like that, and there'd been a, one or two like retrospective radio shows which sort of yeah. triggered the search for all this material as much as anything. But otherwise, this stuff is also, it was unknown. Yeah, I, I think the, oh, the thing amazing. that we've, uh, the thing I, I appreciate from listening to this and having just finished rewatching all of the anthologies on DVD and all the extras, is this whole period is if, it's hard, I think, to understand as retro, people who could only ever have been retrospective fans of theirs because we were born after they split. Mm-hmm. The, how much they would have been in, not just in the air, but on the air. Like, having whole shows given to them for, you know, patches of... The fact that they did TV specials and were on radio yeah. regularly, having slots doing... Having to find things to fill it, because they it, they couldn't just do their single over and over again, because they were, they were filling lots of uh, air time, weren't they? They for were, lots of yeah. People. I mean, and I, they I, had to... I was looking down the list. I mean, there's a very good book about this. You can, like, it's... Um, presented in like a in a fake BBC tape case called the Beebles. Uh, the Beebles? <laughs> there we go. I've just shortened up, made everyone's life easier. Just say the Beebles. <laughs> the Beatles at the BBC by Kevin Howlett. It's the uh, the BBC archives and it's uh, it breaks down all their performances on TV and on radio. And I've mm. sort of been looking down the list of the radio things. I mean, they did, they, they managed to get so much time with the Beatles especially in 1963 yeah. obviously it tails off quite quickly after that uh is incredible you know and the fact that even though obviously not all of them are released yeah we have got a sizable chunk of this this material available to us now that yeah. might never have been heard again had had the beatles just become another legacy act from the 60s absolutely and paraphrasing from the the back of the cd Something that they're saying here that they they did no less than two hundred and seventy five unique musical performances between nineteen sixty two and nineteen sixty five at the BBC. Mad, isn't it? Played eighty eight different songs on national radio. Um, I mean, any for any band, that volume of learning of people. So that's the thing, as well as the fact that they they were maintaining. Obviously, they were still. You just imagine them as playing like the twenty minute sets that we know they ended up doing. You know in and out 20 minutes play the hits maybe throw in one of the cover kind of ones that went on a record the fact that they were still maintaining this kind of set's worth of stuff throughout it's just mad really where did they find the time to remember it all and learn it all and keep it practiced um and write their own songs that would change the face of music forever (laughs) yeah it's mad it's mad and i wonder how many other bands were kind of getting like on the radio, just quite so much, um, able to just to turn up and play a few songs. In it's, it's hard to contact for me to understand what the shape of those shows would have been. Would they have been on air for like? Did they like get get a half an hour thing, or were they just doing a ten minute slot on a wide on a bigger program? Because you well, said like on Pop Goes the Beatles, that sounds like they're their own radio show. Essentially, they did uh, not. Uh, very rarely did they do anything live. I mean, literally live, straight yeah, onto the air. Studio recording. Only a couple of occasions that was the case. And that was generally when they couldn't get them to not do it live and the availability and stuff, and they had yeah. to sort of do it live. But they would record, like, they'd go in for a day and record all the content for three shows. 
Right. Okay. Something like that. But those shows would also have music from other people on as well. Okay. Things like that. They'd be so, span out into wider things. Yeah. It's like the TV specials. You know, I'd love to see them. Yes. Restore them. Give them to restored. Peter Jackson. Yeah. Because they did a whole... We want Around the Beatles. They keep talking about it in Flipping yeah. Get Back. And it's just so strange. And that wasn't the only one they did. They did some more, didn't they? No, did they? yeah, they did. Yeah, there's two or three. The music yeah. of uh, Lennon-McCartney Lennon type one. All that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, all these appearances and shows that we just we just see the same, as nice as it is to see the same Orkham and Wise one. They appeared on other shows, you know. There they, they was loads of stuff. It's just must. It's hard to appreciate how much, how zeitgeisty they would have been, I think. Yeah, definitely. For people who lived through it when you're looking back on it through the lens of their kind of core releases and going into this wider world. And this is a really good album for understanding that just how much output they were, they had outside of just selling the songs that they'd written as well. Just generally being a band who were on mm -hmm. the radio. So it's great. Um, and I look forward to doing disc two, which will be next week. It will. It will. So, all that remains to say is um, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. And thank you very much, Paul. Mm -hmm. And um, good Beebles. Yeah, Merry Beebles. <laughs>